Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. And today, we have a shopping mystery. So a few months ago, I was just scrolling on Instagram and I came across this brand, Patchwork. And they said that they were a Los Angeles-based, modern, chic, women-owned boutique. This is Terry Nguyen, a reporter for The Goods. It looked really creative. Um, There were a lot of deconstructed silhouettes. Like, there were a lot of cropped blazers. There were a lot of cropped tops. Like, there were tank tops that had, like, weird straps. And for me as a shopper, I'm really intrigued by weird stuff. Um, So it, it was definitely, like, statement clothing. It didn't look like, you know, something that you could walk into H&M and buy. But that wasn't the only thing about Studio Patchwork's Instagram that caught Terry's eye. On its bio, it described itself as alteration is innovation. So it made me really think that it handcrafted its garments. And for slow fashion, the prices were practically a steal. Their clothes range from around like $50 to like $150 to even like $200 for some pieces because they sold not just shirts, but also like pants, skirts, and kind of these big wieldy jackets that looked like really complicated to make. And so I thought that what I was getting was a really good deal for what seemed to be like a very unique item. It almost seemed too good to be true. Usually when kind of I get that spider sense, I have this habit of just like reverse image searching things. And when you did that reverse image search, what happened? One of the first results that popped up was something from AliExpress. And when I clicked on the link, it was pretty much like a $20 replica of exactly of what I was seeing on this site on Patchwork. And it was using the same promotional image too, which made it seem more damning. Wow. So what was going through your head at that moment? I guess I was really glad that I didn't buy anything from them because it would have been like I would be paying more than double the price of this blazer I could get hypothetically from AliExpress. But I also felt a little duped in the sense that it marketed itself as something so trendy, something so sustainable, that it was, you know, altering garments to make them innovative. You know, like it seems like almost a moral declaration or kind of like an ethical declaration of their brand. And that is something that I like to support as a consumer. So, Terry, this boutique in L.A. was not what it appeared to be on Instagram. But was that just a one-off thing? Or can you find a lot of shops like this on social media? There are a number of brands and stores on Instagram and across other social medias as well. Um, that I refer to as ghost stores. These are, you know, retail enterprises that really don't 
own or handle much of the merchandise that they claim to produce. And I think the issue is a lot of consumers are duped into thinking that they're buying original or exclusive or just some distinguishable product from these brands. But in reality, they're paying a lot more for mass-produced goods that are also sold by, you know, Amazon AliExpress or Shein. Um, And so when that happens, people are rightfully angry that they feel like they've been duped into buying something that is more expensive, but isn't really, really worth that much. Tell me more about this term you coined, ghost stores. What are the components? What do these stores have in common? I would describe them as these like faceless, indistinguishable kind of brands. And they really do sell very few original products, despite them kind of, you know, marketing themselves to be otherwise. The sellers rarely disclose the nuances of their business model. They don't even tell consumers who the founders are, who the workers are, kind of how their manufacturing process works. And it really relies on this believable or convincing brand story. And I think a ghost story is pretty much like a digital facade. Like while they are really selling stuff, they're kind of moving merchandise and they exist as the middleman between the supplier and the buyer. Um, It just feels, you know, kind of fake because uh, they've gained consumers' trust through this marketing or by, you know, manufacturing this story that they're, you know, a woman-owned Los Angeles-based brand. But in a way, that's just business. Isn't it in every brand's best interest to spin a narrative that attracts customers? Like, isn't the entire retail industry sort of built on deception to some degree? Exactly. And that was a point I mentioned in the article that this is nothing really new. I mean, a lot of brick and mortar retailers like, you know, JCPenney, Forever 21, they likely have some sort of overlapping supply chain and source from similar suppliers. But I guess when you're buying something in an actual store, the illusion of, you know, difference or exclusiveness just feels more real because you're in that store, you're seeing this label that it's, you know, from Forever 21 and not from Shein or something like that. Whereas for the people who are buying things online, sometimes when the item comes, it's still in the package of the supplier or, you know, this wholesale seller. And so they're realizing or tracing back their steps and seeing, oh, this is where the original business bought it from. This is their wholesale price. And so this illusion, you know, falls apart and it feels much more fake for the buyer. And how likely do you think it is that other shoppers are are falling for this? People or kind of younger subset, like very tech-savvy set of shoppers have begun to, I guess, like reverse image search things that they think are like too cheap to be true. But in this specific instance, I think I was so shocked was because I almost was duped by that. I thought their Instagram marketing was so good. They worked with some celebrities. Everything that they've posted down to kind of their tags on their items made me think that they were this real enterprise that they like designed and produced their own clothes rather than outsourcing it from a supplier in China or from a store in AliExpress. So I do think that, you know, depending on how fluid or how sophisticated the marketing is, it really depends and it can really fool a lot of consumers if they're good at what they're doing. Zooming out a little bit, is this all legal? And how do you navigate shopping on social media ethically? Yeah, so these ventures are entirely legal. As you mentioned, they're kind of using tactics that historically have, you know, been used by brick and mortar retailers. And I guess it's 
hard to navigate them ethically because, you know, some of the fashion brands that I've mentioned rely a lot on overconsumption to drive their business model, are constantly releasing new goods. And so I guess for each shopper, I guess it's like, where do your ethics fall? It's unfortunate that the onus now falls on the consumer to make sure that they're not being duped in this transaction, whether it be they're thinking they're buying something sustainable and they're not, or they're just buying something for like three times the price of something they could get elsewhere. A lot of people have just said that they've resorted to buying things from AliExpress just because it's cheaper, whereas others are kind of very disgusted at this whole, you know, phenomenon that's happening. It really does seem unavoidable at times. I'm interested in the social media aspect of this. Over the past few years, lots of different companies, especially Instagram, have been trying to become shopping platforms. How do you think that process has played a role in this? Yeah, I think just the ease in which a person like you or <laughs> like I can easily just set up a storefront like if I wanted to like, in the next hour. I think that ease has made it essential for these dropshipping businesses or these ghost stores to thrive. And it's not just really Instagram, although I feel like that is one of the many platforms in which people get just so many ads and they kind of are moved to buy as a result. Um, I do think also, you know, Shopify and the ability for anyone to create a website and a domain and, you know, direct people from Instagram or from Facebook to that store is really essential in, you know, proliferating this. But at the end of the day, ghost stores are buying and reselling stuff online, which is pretty common. But how is what they're doing different than what folks are doing on Depop, buying and reselling clothes or drop shipping on Amazon? So uh, what's different is that they're, you know, selling things in mass, right? And they're finding out their specific consumer demographic through these targeted ads, which help drive traffic to their specific website. Um, on Depop, people are selling, you know, only like one or two or three items that they've thrifted, although there are drop shippers on Depop as well, versus on Amazon, the drop shippers there kind of rely on the platform to generate traffic to their product. So I guess the ghost stores, it feels believable because there are real businesses that, you know, produce their own things that rely on Instagram to reach a target audience as well. And so that's kind of where the lines begin to blur. Whereas if you're on Amazon, you're, you're kind of being told this is a third party retailer and you're aware that you're, or somewhat aware in some cases, you're buying not from Amazon, but from someone who's selling their stuff through Amazon. Well, Terry, you're a journalist who writes about shopping and you almost got tricked here. If I'm shopping on Instagram or if the average person is shopping on a social media site, what can they do to make sure they don't get tricked by a ghost store? Should I start reverse image searching all my purchases? Yeah, I, I don't really recommend that since that sounds really exhausting if you have to just plug it into Google every time. But I do think there's a good rule that maybe you shouldn't buy from brands you're like unfamiliar with. I know like going to the site is not always the best solution because I was on the site and I was almost duped. But more often than not, like just reading through the shipping terms and conditions and kind of reading reviews of the store, taking a moment to pause before you buy something on impulse is always a good idea. Well, this is something we hope to talk to you about on the podcast more, but it sounds like the message here is just buy less stuff. Yeah. And since the supply chain is in disarray, it's a good idea because it will save you stress and it'll also save you money. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Terry. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 
Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon. Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions was our engineer, and I'm your host, Adam Clark Estes. See you tomorrow.